Always good to come on back and start a new series, especially when it's Judges. So fun. Who's excited to go back to the Old Testament again? All right. One. Jose is excited. Cool. All right. Good. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, yeah, so we're jumping into uh, the book of Judges. A lot to cover today, so I'm going uh, to dive right in. Uh, we're going from chapter 1 to verses, uh, chapter 2, verse 5. So, uh, again, a lot of text. Um, I'm not going to read it up front. We'll read it as we go. Uh, we're going to skip a little portion for later. I'll tell you about that in a minute. Uh, but why don't we just go ahead and open up our time in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, we're so thankful uh, for your word. Uh, we're thankful for, for it from Genesis to Revelation. And we thank you for the things you're showing us and teaching us through it, Lord Jesus. And uh, God, we just pray this morning that you would apply this message to our hearts, challenge us and convict us um, to follow you. Uh, wherever you lead us, and to walk in the holiness you call us to. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, just to give you a little bit of a uh, brief outline for the book of Judges, uh, we'll be going over Judges for the next, I don't know, 16, 20 weeks? I'm not sure how long it's going to take us. It'll take us a little bit uh, to get through a lot of great stories uh, to work through. The basic outline is this, three main parts, okay? A prologue, a body, and an epilogue, okay? The prologue, the beginning, the intro, is actually two intros. Uh, so intro one is what we're doing today, chapter one through chapter two, verse five. And intro two, a secondary introduction, uh, starts in chapter two, verse six, on to the end of uh, uh, to chapter three, verse six. And then from chapters three to 16, we get a picture of a number of judges that the Lord raised up among the people. And we'll talk a little bit more about the cycle that Judges portrays next week as we get into the second introduction. But chapters 3 to 16 are the stories of all the judges that were raised up uh, in, in this time period. Um, and then finally, chapters 17 to 21 are this epilogue of, you know, kind of the end of this time period. Where is the heart of the people of Israel at? And I'm just, spoiler alert for you, it's not good. It's a bad, it's a bad, it's in a bad spot. So if you read chapter 17 to 21, you're like confused about what's going on. That's because the people are confused about what's going on. Uh, and and they're, in a, they're in a bad situation. So that's the basic outline. Uh, this week and next week, we're working through the introductions, introduction one and introduction two. And then we'll jump in uh, to the stories of the judges. So <clears throat> judges picks up on the time of conquest. So if you rewind our, our, uh, our series back to Joshua, when we were in Joshua, Joshua ended uh, with some of the land not taken over yet. And so Judges picks up after the death of Joshua. Okay, so Joshua has passed away, and now uh, the rest of the tribes are going forward to continue the conquest of the land. Um, so a couple of things to know uh, we usually look at Joshua as the time of conquest, and they don't finish the conquest. This isn't a surprise to us. I'm going to read a passage from Exodus, actually, to start us out, uh, that tells us that this is expected. So the, the fact that, that Joshua didn't complete the conquest is not a surprise to the Lord. Um, it's actually part of the thing. Um, but we'll see some, see some things switch up as we, as we go here. So first, uh, just a reminder of what the Lord said about the conquest back in Exodus Chapter 23, 20 to 22, a few things I want to point out here. First, he says this. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. 
Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Okay? So the first promise of the conquest is that the Lord has sent an angel who has his name, okay, the angel of the Lord, to direct the, the people of Israel as they go through the conquest. And the instruction is, listen to this angel because he's going to tell you exactly which next steps to take. Okay, he's going to tell you if it's time to do this battle or hold off. He's going to tell you how many people are to go into battle in this time. He's going to tell you specifically what you are to do in any given situation. Does it sound familiar to anybody? Like maybe the Holy Spirit, you know, like Jesus gave you Holy Spirit to tell you what you ought to do and when you ought to do it and how you ought to do it, right? Okay, so the Lord gave the angel to show the whole people of Israel what actions they are to take. Obey his voice and I will be an enemy to your enemies. I think, you know, that's a pretty big promise. The God of the universe is going to be an enemy to your enemies. I, okay, so if you want the, you know, the creator of all the universe to be on your side, to be an enemy to your enemies, then listen to the angel, right? Listen to the angel of the Lord. He's guiding you, right? So that's the first thing. Second thing the Lord says, verses 23 to 28, when my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, I will blot them out. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do. But you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. Okay, so this is important, especially as we get through Judges. He says, do not serve their gods, do not do as they do, utterly overthrow them. Okay, so don't act like they do, don't worship the things they do, completely destroy you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from, you, away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill your number, the number of your days. I will send terror before you and throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come, and I will make your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, and they shall drive out the Hivites and Canaanites and Hittites before you. Don't bow down their gods. Don't serve them. Don't do as they do. Utterly overthrow them. I just want to pause here real quick to talk about uh, what we're seeing in the conquest. Okay, God has promised this land to Israel. Okay, he's given a promise to Israel for this land. And when he told them to take it over, he told them to take over the people that are there. He actually promised this land to them 400 years prior to Abraham. Okay, so he promised Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. Fast forward 450 years, and the people of Israel are set to take the land. And they're told to completely destroy and drive out all who live there. What is the picture being shown to us, okay? The picture shown to us is that God's time of mercy for this group of people, the, the people, inhabitants of this land, has run out. And his judgment has come, okay? As a people, he's called Israel to cast judgment on the people of Canaan. And we look at that and go, it seems harsh. Why would, we, why would we completely wipe off a people group from the earth? Seems rough. Seems, unfortunately, very familiar to us right now. Okay? Talks of completely annihilating other cultures and people, right? Anyone reading the news this week? Okay? 
So don't be surprised when you've got people groups wanting to wipe out people groups. This isn't anything new, okay? And so then you, as a Christian and as a reader of the Bible, have to rewind yourself back to this time and try to remember how to interpret this, okay? Because God told the people of Israel to completely destroy the Canaanites and remove them from the land, okay? This is a people who are performing child sacrifice, who are worshiping the God of Molech, okay, and God's patience with them had ended. And we look at that and we struggle with why God would command one people group to destroy another. And it takes us to really the root of the gospel, okay? The root of the gospel is this, right? I am a sinner. Anybody else, anybody else sinner in here? Yeah, I'm a sinner. Okay, And I believe that when I die, there's a coming judgment. And, and I can go one of two places. Hell is a real place, and heaven is a real place. This is the, the fundamental starting point of why the gospel is good news. is because hell is real, and heaven is real. And I don't get to heaven based on my merit. I get to heaven based on the merit of Christ Jesus. Okay? And because I'm a sinner, what I deserve is full eternal judgment because I've completely not accepted God's ways. But because I've placed my faith in Christ Jesus, I now have the righteousness of Christ and entrance into heaven. Okay, so back to why Israel is destroying Canaan. This is a picture of God's judgment on this people. God is standing above time and saying, this whole people group has rejected me and will not accept me. And now the people of Israel are commanded to completely destroy and remove. Um, understand, that was a command the Lord gave them 4,000 years ago. Okay? And a lot has happened since then. And so when you're interpreting the events of today, okay, the people of Israel, just to be very clear, rejected Jesus, rejected the Messiah. And I'm not going to get into all the charts and in and outs of like how Israel plays a role in the end times and all this kind of stuff, okay? Um, but I want you to know that though God has chosen the people of Israel and though he has miraculously shown his provision for them, we cannot assume that all of Israel is on the right side and all of Palestine is on the right side. There are Christians on both sides, and there are sinners on both sides. And right now, we're in a very sad, broken place in our world. There's so much there to talk about. I'm just not going to get into everything that's there. If you've got questions about that, I want to talk more about it. We're going to get there later. But I just want to tell you, the command to follow the Lord has been missed a long time ago. Okay. All right. So, third, final thing he says to them Exodus 29, 23, 29 to 33. I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased and possessed the land. I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the 
wilderness to the Euphrates, and I will give, for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Okay, so the beginning of Judges is just picking up on the conquest. God told them, we're not going to do this all at once. Okay, it's going to be little by little. But just because it's little by little does not mean that you neglect my command to you to completely destroy, not serve, and not make covenant with the people of this land. So there was much land uh, remaining to take at the end of Joshua's life. And I'm, I'm going to read that next passage, Joshua 13, 1-7. But Joshua 13, 1-7 outlines all the lands that are still remaining at the time of Joshua's death. Okay? Um, in the book of Joshua, we see the beginning of the conquest of the land and judges the continuation of this conquest after uh, the death of Joshua. So uh, it starts out okay, all right? but it goes downhill very fast. And we're going we're gonna to see that as we go. Um, as we walk through Judges, I just want to tell you this. Hold your timelines loosely, okay? As you're reading years throughout the book of Judges, uh, there are recorded 400 years of rest within the book of Judges, but the time span of the book of Judges is only 200 years, okay? And I'm going to explain that really quick because the years of peace in the land, okay, are regional, right? So Israel is a full country. It's actually about the size of New Jersey, uh, if you're looking for like a comparison in size, which is interesting. Um, so it's about the size of New Jersey. Uh, but when it says there's peace in the land, we're talking about tribal land, okay? So there's 12 tribes separated out. And so yeah, the total of the numbers add up to 400. Don't worry about that, okay? We're not, walk we're not walking through a, a direct timeline. We're walking through a regional timeline. So he's actually generally moving from the south to the north in his uh, description of judges. So we've got geographical outline here rather than years. Uh, it's a 200-year timeline with, you know, Various parts of the region having rest at various times. So there's, there's overlap. So, what's up, Roy? <laughs> um, so, and just for time frame, right, like, what's the framework, right? 200 years. This is, this is the, 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 the length that America has been a country. Okay, so just, again, reference for that, right? Um, all right, so, Judges 1, 1 to 2. Conquest continued. Uh, verse 1, 1 to 2. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. Starts out good. They inquire of the Lord and say, Okay, right? This is what the Lord told them to do, right? Listen to the angel. Ask him. All your decisions need to go through the Lord. So they ask him, and Judah's supposed to in, you know, begin this conquest, the continuation of this conquest. So this is good. It says Simeon with, went with him. Uh, just a side note, Simeon's not listed later because Simeon began, became so small that he got enveloped into Judah. Okay? So Judah and Simeon begin, you know, begin to be unified. Simeon is a part of uh, Judah's land. So if you're, count, if you're keeping track of of tribes. There are 12 represented here. Simeon is kind of uh, swept up in, uh, in Judah. Okay, so Judah asks Simeon to come with him. Verse, uh, verses 3 to 26, we see the beginning of the fighting against the Canaanites. 
by this, really by this new generation, the generation after Joshua. Okay, so Joshua has passed away, and now this new generation rises up to continue the conquest. And in, in verses 3 to 26, we get a prototype of what the, what the battles begin to be like, okay? Judges 1, 3. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me into the territory allotted to me, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I likewise will go into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Judah asked Simeon to come with him. Uh, verses 4 to 15, we're going to see uh, some detailed stories of the successful campaigns of Judah. Okay, so successful. I'm going to put that in quotes. Kind of successful. Okay. All right, so, so battle one. Uh, Judges 1, 4 to 7. Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Whoa, all right. And Adonai Bezek said... Seventy kings and their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. Anybody see anything wrong with what just happened? Roy, do you see something wrong with what just happened? No. No? Okay. Anybody see anything wrong with this battle? They didn't follow the Lord's command. Okay. How so? Right, right, right. The command from Exodus was to not do as they do. And in the first battle, what do we see them do? They're doing as the people do. Just as Adonai Bezek cuts off his thumbs and big toes, so the Israelites take on the Canaanites' way of war, and cut off his thumbs and big toes. And yeah, the king says, oh, God has repaid me for this is how I did to the other people. That's not what God told the Israelites to do. So they're already doing not as God told them to do, but rather as the Canaanites do. Verses 8 to 10, the next uh, effect here. Uh, And the men of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterward, afterward, the men of Judah went up to fight against the Canaanites who lived in the hill country, in the Negev, and in the in the lowland. And Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, and they defeated Sheshai, Ahamon, and Talmi. Okay, so that one actually was like nothing. Okay, so they did that one right. Nothing to record that's that's interesting about that. Um, Judges 1, 11 to 15 is the story of them taking over Debir. Uh, we're going to come back to Debir later. It's about Othniel. Okay, so Othniel we're going to pick up in a couple weeks. And so we'll come back to verses 11 to 15 later. I'm going to move on to verses 16 to 20. Okay. The descendants of the Kenite, Moses, father-in-law, went up to the people of Judah from the city of Palms and into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the Negev near Arad. And they went and settled with the people. Okay. And Judah went with, his, with Simeon, his brother, and they defeated the Canaanites who inhabited Zephthah and devoted it to destruction. So the name of the city was Hormah. Judah also captured Gaza with its territory 
and Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. And the Lord is with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses said, and he drove it out from the three sons of Anak. They didn't take part of it because the people had too much military strength. They had chariots of iron. It says in Joshua eleven six, 6, uh, this is a promise from the Lord to the people. He says this, The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time I will give, them o- give over all of them slain to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So the Lord had already told them, right? That yes, you're going to come up against people that have greater military strength with you. Yes, you're going to come up against people that have even chariots, right? But I will defeat them. And so Judah has taken an excuse of this military army is too strong. They've They've got chariots. We can't go against chariots. The Lord says you're going to hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. Judah doesn't complete the mission that God has given him. Judges 1.21, the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived, Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Uh, and finally here in the first section, uh, verses 22 to 26, the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel and the Lord was with them. The house of Joseph scattered out Bethel. Now the name of the city was formerly Luz. Again, this is going to sound successful, but listen for the differences here. And the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, Please show us the way into the city, and we will deal kindly with you. And he showed them the way into the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man go and all of his family. And the man went to the land of the Hittites and built the city and called its name Luz. That is its name to this day. Does this sound familiar to any other story you've read? Any other conquest stories this sound familiar to? They found a spy? Spy helped him out. Family of the spy was spared. Rahab, right? Any differences between this story and the story of Rahab that you notice? Seem the same or different? Maybe I should say, how is it different? Different people, okay, yep, different people. He built a city, okay, yep, he built a city, so his family lived, he built a city. What else? Same name, yep, it was Luz, they destroyed Luz, he built another Luz, Luz 2, or new Luz, I'm not sure, whatever it is. (laughs) Any other differences? Roy, what's the difference? OSU. OSU, let's go, folks. Um... Difference between uh, this man, unnamed Canaanite, who went and rebuilt the city and continued to live, and Rahab, is that Rahab testified to the goodness of the Lord, right, and the power of the Lord, and submitted her life and her family's life to the Lord, okay? Rahab saw the power of Israel and converted and took on the God of Israel. Luz, the leader of Luz, right, was just allowed to continue his life as a Hittite. 
doing his thing in Hittite culture. Okay? Joseph didn't complete the mission, but allowed him to stay. These uh, kind of more detailed accounts that we walk through real quickly, and I again acknowledge we're going very fast with this. Um, these detailed accounts are just prototypes for the following summarized versions we're going to read. Okay, we're, we've just gone through Judah, Benjamin, and part of the house of Joseph. Okay, and verses 27 to 36 are just a full index of all the tribes within the, the primary land of Israel. Remember, there's two tribes on the eastern side of the Jordan, Gad and Reuben, who already took their inheritance on the eastern side of Jordan. Okay? So within the western side of the Jordan, there's ten tribes to take land. And so we've, we've heard from two of them, Judah and Benjamin, and kind of Simeon. So now seven more are going to be listed. Um, and the, the way we see the Israelites act in those first few battles, right? they, they do as the Canaanites do, they actually do allow uh, the, the people to continue to live in this land rather than driving them out. They actually make covenants with the people of the land, right? This leader from Luz, they covenant with him and say, hey, listen, if you give us information, we'll let you live. These are prototypes for what the rest of the tribes are going to do. So Manasseh, verses 27 to 28, he did not drive out the inhabitants of the land, um, he let the Canaanites persist in the dwelling. And I'm going I'm to summarize these for you. Manasseh didn't drive out the Canaanites of the land and put the Canaanites to forced labor. Ephraim did not drive the Canaanites out of the land and the Canaanites lived among them. Zebulun did not drive the Canaanites out of the land. Verse 30, Canaanites lived among them and then put them to forced labor. Asher did not drive the Canaanites out of the land. Canaanites lived among them. Nephtali did not drive out the Canaanites of the land. Canaanites lived among them, put them to forced labor. Dan got defeated. Missing in action, Issachar. We actually, no representation for Issachar. Gad and Reuben, again we know, are on the eastern side of Jordan. Issachar, not sure. I need to do more research on that. So in addition to letting some of these Canaanites live and not fully completing the work, they actually put some of these folks to forced labor, which they're not supposed to do because they're supposed to remember. What are they supposed to remember? They were slaves in the land of Egypt. They have forgotten what God has told them. They have forgotten what God has done for them. And so we come to the conclusion of this first intro in verses 1 to 5, um, which says this, and I'm going to start with this first verse. It says, Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bakim. So the angel of the Lord comes to this generation, right? And he comes to Gilgal, which is interesting. I'm going to tell you why it's interesting here in just a second. The angel didn't just, just appear to them where they're at, right? The angel comes to Gilgal and then to the people who are at Bakim. Why is Gilgal important? Joshua 4, verses 19 to 20, 
in Joshua 5, verses 9 to 10. I'm going to start here. First in Joshua 4, 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal at the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up camp at Gilgal. So what's the framework of Gilgal? Gilgal is the place where they came and crossed the Jordan. Miraculously, remember, the Jordan was parted before them. And they crossed the Jordan and came to Gilgal. And this is where they took 12 stones out of the river and set them up as a monument to remember the Lord has brought us through the Jordan and set us up here at Gilgal. This is the first spot they stopped when they came into the promised land for the very first time. A promise that had been given to them 450 years later has now been fulfilled and the place they stop at to commemorate it is Gilgal. And so in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 5, it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal, to this day. And as much research as I did on the name Gilgal in terms of its origin and meaning, this is the most information you can find about the origin of this word. That reproach was rolled away from of Egypt, was rolled away from the people of Israel at Gilgal. That's why it's called Gilgal. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening of the plains of Jericho. They set up camp They celebrated Passover for the first time in the promised land and they circumcised the whole generation again because they had not been circumcised for that entire generation. Gilgal. Gilgal also is the outpost for the entire conquest during Joshua's life. And in chapter 10, verses 6 to 9, it says, And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the, at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. Gilgal was a place at the beginning of the conquest where the people renewed their covenant with God and where they began their conquest of the entirety of the land. Gilgal is the place they should remember where they saw the Lord move and show them He was going to be their defender and protector and sustainer through all their lives. Gilgal. So the angel in Judges originates in Gilgal and comes to the people at Bacham, and he says this, and this should be the assessment of what happened in this whole chapter we've gone through, these tribes not fulfilling what God has called them to do under the Canaanites. He says, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not 
drive them out before you. But they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bachem, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. The Lord swore this land to the people. He swore to be the one that fought their battles. And instead, they took on the ways of the people of the land and used them as their own ways instead of the ways of the Lord. The Lord is the one who had them march around Jericho seven times to let the walls fall on their own. The Lord is the one that removed thousands of fighters away from the battle so that a few fighters could win the battle, not because it's their strength, but because it's God's strength. The people of Israel were not supposed to work and and fight on their own ways, on the ways of the world, but rather on the ways of God. And so he judges them to say, I will not drive them out before you because you think you can handle it on your own. And the truth is you can't. And so we have to look at this passage and, and look ourselves in the face and in our hearts. Put your hand down, buddy. And we have to take this time that was 4,000 years ago and fast forward it to our day and apply it to our lives as followers of Jesus. Again, the judgment of the Lord upon the land of Canaan was a corporate action. The Lord is going to give the people the fullness of the land. Okay? And so as you apply this to your hearts and as we walk through the book of Judges in the coming weeks, okay, I need you to associate the land of the people of Israel with your heart. Okay? Because the land of the people of Israel was to be a place where the presence of God dwelt with man. Jerusalem and its temple being primarily this holy place set apart in a land that was to, to typify heaven. That His holiness was to be present there among all the people. And especially so as you approach the Temple Mount and went into the Holy of Holies, which is separate, separate, separate from all the people. And a people that's supposed to be separate from all the cultures around it. In it, but separated. And so you have to take this picture of what the land is and apply it to your heart as a follower of Christ. The reason... We cannot compromise with sin. It's because God has called us to root it completely out. If we don't, it will become a thorn in our side. Just as God called Israel to completely drive out the Canaanites, 
so too he has called us to look inside of our heart and say, O Lord, if there is any unclean way in me, show me and let me walk in your ways. It doesn't, listen, all of you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that you came to know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. And it was a powerful moment. And at that moment, you might have felt like everything was going to change forever and you're never going to sin ever again. It was just going to be easy breezy forever because Jesus is on your side. You've got his power. You might have felt that. Okay? And I, I resonate with that. Okay? I've felt that too. But the problem is that's not the end of your salvation. That's the beginning of it. And yes, God wants to do something miraculous and powerful to show you his strength and capture your heart. But guess what? The rest of your days got to be lived out in constant devotion and energy to face and follow the Lord Jesus. He told the people of Israel, I'm not going to do this all in one year. Because if I did that, it'd be too overwhelming for you. If I removed every sinful desire or thought from you immediately, it would be too overwhelming for you. You could not bear it. The reason he didn't cleanse the land completely in one year is because it would have gone follow and the wild animals would have taken over the people of Israel. That's what he says. And so the reason God doesn't just wipe the slate clean for you in terms of things you struggle with is because you actually could not handle it. And so he saves you powerfully. And then slowly, little bit by little bit by little bit, he just shows you a little more of how much love he has for you and how much he cares for you. And the moment you compromise with that process, you end up right back at the start. And you got to be reminded again that Jesus loves you and he died for you and he wants you to walk in relationship with him. If we're going to conquer sin in our life, we cannot make compromises. We can't say, uh, yeah, but this seems like a wise way to handle things. I'll just cut off his, th- his toes and, and, and thumbs like the people do. Right? We can't say, oh, this guy gave me some good information. I guess I'll just let him have an influence in my life and stick around. No. The Lord says, give me your whole life. Seek me for your entire wisdom. Follow the one who has my name in him, the Holy Spirit. Okay, I've given it to you as a gift by the blood of Christ Jesus, and so obey it every moment. Let us not forget the promises God has made to us in Christ Jesus, that he will be with us and he will fight all of our battles, and that we cannot actually make any progress fighting them on our own. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's not over when you say the prayer. It's not over when you get baptized. It's not over at these moments in time that you look back on as powerful moments, okay? It is not over until the day you die and stand at the judgment seat of Christ and go, I've got nothing to give. I only trust in the blood of Christ. 
And so my challenge to us is let us drive out all that could become thorns among us. Let us let the Lord do his conquering work of our hearts. Let him take your whole heart. If you're struggling with an area today, give it to him. He wants to fight your battle. Let us not forget the promise the Lord Jesus made to us, that he will be with us until the very end. It is so easy to forget what the Lord has called us to. It's so easy. It's so easy to walk around this world and see the things around and like cast our devotion to that which we see. We can even do this when we're, when we're trying to follow God's calling in our life. Okay? First, God calls you to give your life to Him and, and surrender and let Him fight your sin battles and all these struggles and things. Like You're turning it all over to Him, right? Okay, so that's like salvation. But then the Lord doesn't leave you there. He calls you to do something with what He's given you. He calls you to go out in the world and share the good news and make disciples of those that are in the world. Okay? to follow Jesus also. And even in that, we can fail. So we have to ask ourselves the question, as we're looking around our lives and, and doing what God has called us to do and fighting the battles God has called us to fight, are we being are incarnational with people like Jesus was? Are we meeting people where they are and with the truth and love that Christ put in front of them? Or... This is the heart check. Are we just getting comfortable with the world around us and trying not to offend it? Because, man, many an important conversation is pushed down the road because we're like not willing to share truth. And listen, I'm all for relationship building. Okay? I'm all for loving a person where they're at and, and trying to uh, encourage and meet needs and, and talk through things and, and debate and have conversation and all that. Listen, I'm all for that. But there really does come a point, and, and I'm not going to tell you where it is because I don't have to. The Lord didn't tell us where it is because he gave you Holy Spirit to tell you where that line is. Okay, listen, as you go as a follower of Jesus through this life, you are going to have relationships around you and conversations that come to you where the Holy Spirit's going to check you right here. He's going to say, now is the time for you to speak my name. And so often, I'm, I'm just, I'm preaching to me. Okay, so don't feel like judging from the pulpit. I'm telling myself this, okay? So many times we come up to these conversations and go, ah, I'll see him tomorrow. Like maybe I should like go watch a movie with him. Or like maybe, you know, we'll just wait. I'll just go get dinner with him sometime. Just maybe the next time. I'll just skip this opportunity to see the next time. It's not how God operates. You're not promised tomorrow, neither am I. Um, I'm going to tell you this story because it was powerful to me um, about our trip. 
Went to Oklahoma. Christy felt very compelled to go see her grandma, and she did. Uh, her sister was also in town, so they got to get away. And okay, we had driven. Anyone know how far Oklahoma is away? Okay, it was a 24 hours drive. It's like a lot of driving. We had driven very far. Abilene, Texas, where her grandma is, five more hours. Her and her sister got in the car, five hour trip to see her grandma who's in the hospital. Had a lucid, good conversation with her grandma. Her grandma's nine, about to turn 98, wants to live, wanted to live it to 100. Wanted to because she, she passed away a few days later. Okay, we've had opportunities to get out there before and whatever, but like, she knew this was the time she needed to get out there. Praise God that she listened to that. I'm so glad that she got that worldly, you know, temporary opportunity to interact with her grandma and have a conversation and, and have closure there. Okay, that's the kind of precision timing that our God works with. Okay, days? Okay, She's been alive 98. We hadn't seen her in years. She had a span of days to get down there. Didn't know what kind of conversation she was going to have. Got to have a really great conversation with her grandma who knows and loves Jesus and served him through many a trial in life. I praise God for that. Okay? But that kind of timing isn't just man's wisdom. That's Holy Spirit. Okay? That's conviction of of what the Lord is doing in his timing. Okay, that's, that's how like, focused it is. And so I just challenge you and it challenged me that as these conversations and opportunities come your way as a disciple of Christ, don't just say, tomorrow. The Lord has called us to not compromise in our fight of sin and he's called us to listen to the one who has the name of the Lord in him, Holy Spirit. Okay, to listen to him at every direction, when to speak and even when not to speak. Because okay, there is a time when you are being too, uh, too forthright with things and are pushing in an agenda way to try and like, push your message out instead of the Lord's message. Okay, that's why you've got to listen to Holy Spirit as to whether it's to fight now or to not fight now or to wait. Like, listen to Holy Spirit. And so this is where we find the people of Israel. They have forsaken relying on the Lord. And the Lord says, I will not drive them out before you. They shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. And so it has been the case actually ever since. And so let that message continue to re resonate in your soul. But as long as we compromise, so too will thorns be allowed to be there. Drive it out. Man, if you look at your life right now and you say, man, I, I really need to, like, I'm, you know, I'm in a spot right now where I know I need to get on to exercise and, like, need to do better in exercise. I don't exercise enough. I don't eat the right whatever. Like, I need to get myself in shape, in better shape, truthfully. Okay? And the, the more you put it off, each day you put it off, the harder and harder it gets. 
And it's true in every area of your life. You can make all the goals you want in life, guys. But if you say it's going to happen tomorrow, it's never going to happen. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day the Lord has given you. And so walk in it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for this, um, this book, Judges, and we thank you for the things you're going to show us throughout it over the coming weeks. And we just pray, Lord, that you would continue to reveal yourself um, as powerful provider in our life. Uh, Lord Jesus, we depend on you for all things. And God, we, we, today we, just, we repent for um, not trusting you and not following the ways that you have set out before us and rather trusting in our own ways and the ways of man. And so, God, I pray you would help us um, to stop compromising with sin and to start listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit as we walk through each and every one of our days. God, I, I know you desire good for us. You desire joy for us. You, you actually allow us to have uh, all, all manner and range of emotion. And we're so grateful for that, God. But help us not be lulled to sleep by, uh, by our culture or, or even by the apathy of our culture or even the pain of our culture. Help us get on our knees and get in your word and get into prayer and seek your face. We know that when we don't, we give up ground and we allow thorns and thistles to grow up in and among us. So God, help us to say no to any more compromise in our life. And to say yes to what you've told us is right and true and good. Lord Jesus, we, we want to be uh, a city on a hill. We want to be a shining light for you. We want to be uh, a church that loves one another so well that people desire that same love. Lord, that's what you tell us to be. And so, God, we want to be that. And so, Lord, we pray you would help us to fight the battles that are before us and to trust you with every single step that is ahead of us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.